when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Romans chapter 2 verses 14 through 15, and the theology nerds are back coming at you from the great state of Texas. Texas. Thank you for joining us this week for another edition of Bridge Radio. Welcome to episode number 71. Guys, we're on 71. That's yeah, crazy. Wow. Crazy good. Yes. <laughs> if, if you are new to the program, please do not stop listening to this podcast. Finish it up. <laughs> but go check out all of our other podcasts. We are the Christian podcast that brings on the world's top Christian authors, apologists, theologians, pastors, Masters, and like today, philosophers to talk all things theology and Christian worldview. We have uh, episodes ranging everything from eschatology, atheism, abortion, soteriology, Calvinism, Arminianism, the sovereignty of God and man's free will. We just did one of those. It was nice. Yeah. And uh, and yeah. So just thank you everyone for joining us today. I am your host as always, Julio Omar Rodriguez. And across from me, we got the AW. Here I am. <laughs> and with us as well, we got the president making theology great again here in the state of Texas. What's up, everybody? Good to be with you. Steven Den Hartog. So anyway, guys, um, so the other day we were uh, checking our stats for the podcast. Yeah. Uh, if you're new, uh, we have an international audience. By yes, the sir. way, subscribe, iTunes, Windows, Google Play, now on Stitcher Radio and our Bridge app. And we came across, surprisingly, that we have a small uh, listening audience in Ethiopia. And Ethiopia. Steve and somebody else want to talk a little bit about that. So, Steve, yeah. take yeah. it away. So we noticed that we have, I think, what, 27, I think, listeners is what the stats showed in Ethiopia, which is pretty cool. But I thought that it was really interesting because I kind of have a, a connection there, being that I was born in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. My parents were missionaries there, so I spent a good chunk of my childhood in Ethiopia. And uh, just so wanted to give a, a shout out to our listening friends in Ethiopia. And also want to introduce my good friend as well, Isaias, uh, sitting right next to me. It's, it's kind of uh, amazing how in God's providence he brought us together mm -hmm. in that mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're literally neighbors living in Laredo, Texas. Isaias, yeah, Isaias <laughs> and three of his siblings were adopted from Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know how many years ago. Now it's going to be. Uh, it's about to be twelve years. Twelve now. years ago. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, we've just gotten to know them. We love them dearly, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, just wanted to give Isaias an opportunity to, to shout out to our listening friends in Ethiopia. <laughs> አወኩኝና <laughs> Uh, Texas. 
ለያና አማርኛ ትንሽ ነሽ ያጠፋች ናት ስለዛ እስኪ ፕራክቲስ አደርጋለሁ ናበረም ለማውራት ዝክ ከናንተ ጋር ፈልጋለሁ አመሰግናለሁ thank you guys for listening you know our broadcast from way from texas texas yeah from in laredo texas small place but you know we appreciate it for listening and just you know don't stop it's a great thing you know we're talking about you know god and a different lot of things theologists so shout out to you all awesome awesome thank you so much appreciate that i had no idea what you said yeah like they're all heretics over there if our ethiopian listener if he said anything in there that was just wrong please email us we can rebuke him no yeah that that's that's thank you very much that's awesome that uh that we have listeners and 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 amazing that is awesome send us an email if you're listening in in uh ethiopia you know send us an email and uh keep in contact yeah yeah HulioBridgeMin at gmail.com. HulioBridgeMin at gmail.com. Anyway, guys, um, so yeah, let me introduce our topic and our guest for today. He's been on the program before, and he's also did a, 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 a conference with us. Yeah. Uh, I, I really enjoyed his topic. You could find that on our Bridge app or on our YouTube uh, site. He did a complete lecture on the cosmological argument. And uh, let me just introduce our guest. Our guest is a dynamic, young, evangelistic, and apologetically inclined pastor pastor and teacher who has a passion for proclaiming the gospel and defending his faith his faith on theological and philosophical grounds he is a licensed minister certified formation therapist and the new apologetics lead for Texas Baptist he is well respected and sought after for his evangelistic message expository ability and insight into apologetics he has spoken and debated on a public level at university and college campuses where he admittedly and adequately defends the Christian faith against atheists, agnostics, and deistic professors of different worldviews. He is also the founder of Eric Hernandez Ministries, and thank you so much, brother, for coming back on the program. Hey, thank you for having me. I, I accidentally said in your bio that you were defending your face, yeah. not faith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was... You said face or fate? Face. That you were defending your face. Yes. <laughs> Sorry yeah, about I, that. Sometimes I have to defend my face. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, hey, thank you so much for, for, for being on the program. Um, so, like I said, we're today we're going to be diving into the moral uh, argument for the existence of God. Um, and, and would you agree that whenever it comes to, especially with talking with atheists, uh, it's rather going to come down to science or morality, the debate? Uh, yeah, a lot of times uh, uh, it comes down to those kind of issues. Um, it's kind of a case-by-case. It's different for everyone, of course. But um, a lot of times, uh, for example, one of the biggest objections I get from atheists um, deal with things like uh, religious people do evil in the name of God or look mm-hmm. at the pain and suffering in the world, which all revolve around uh, questions of oughtness, of of teleology and we can unpack that word later yeah basically revolve around a way they feel the the world ought to be like but is not uh and of course these all deal with um moral issues moral facts moral values moral descriptions and then of course um you also have atheists asking or appealing to science um what, what always tickles me about that though is I'll have, for example, an atheist say, do you have any scientific evidence for God? And I'd say, well, why would I want to do a silly thing like that? Um, Because if science, by definition, is something that studies the physical, natural world, and if God, by definition, is a non-physical, immaterial 
entity, right. then why would we use a physical mechanism to try and look into a non-physical entity? It would be like trying to use a ruler to measure your weight. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> so you're you're a classical apologist. For those who are maybe new to the Christian faith, new listeners, can you explain a little bit about what is a classical apologetics? Uh, yeah, in a nutshell, um, classical apologetics is what I take to be a biblical um, way that we see uh, apologetics being handled as a prerequisite, perhaps, to define apologetics is simply uh, to defend, uh, to give a defense for what we believe, uh, to know why, what we believe and why. Mm-hmm. Um, when you see that Paul, um, when he's engaging in these kind of discussions with people who are non-believers, uh, he, he kind of changes his, um, his approach. Uh, if it's Jews, he's a scripture. If it's Gentiles or Greeks, he may uh, quote philosophers or poets. Um, and as Paul said, I, I became all things to all men so that he could reach them for the gospel. Mm. So um, classical apologetics is basically meeting people where they're at uh, uh, to answer their questions, to, to guide them. The Bible talks about, um, in the book of Corinthians, uh, strongholds that as believers, when it comes to spiritual warfare, our job is to tear down strongholds. And you ask yourself, well, what's a stronghold? Biblically speaking, a stronghold um, is defined in the next verse as thoughts, ideas, presuppositions, philosophies, arguments, reasonings that go against the knowledge of God. So basically, you have these strongholds that people hold to, like, say, something like postmodernism or relativism or, mm-hmm. or scientism, which are these views that say, let's look at relativism, they say there is no truth. Um, and because of this view that they have, it keeps or hinders them right. from coming to either knowledge of God or a deeper knowledge of God because they'll say, well, Christianity is true for you, but not for me. And because of that, I don't have to be a Christian mm-hmm. perhaps to get to heaven because all religions are equally true because at the end of the day, there is no objective truth. So now you have a stronghold that someone has. And biblically speaking, our job is to address and some translations say to destroy these strongholds. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, Within classical apologetics, there's a there's a line of arguments, right? I mean, the moral argument being one. There's also the cosmological argument, which you've come on the program and do. I believe that's episode number twenty three. Uh, and, and what are some other ones within classical apologetics? Apologetics besides those two. Uh, well, uh, there's there's quite a quite a bit. There was um, I think it was Planiga who, uh, uh, if not wrote, contributed to a book that says something like um, a dozen or so or more arguments for the existence of God. Uh, and basically any argument that you use that is going to defend a particular position or or point to the Christian God um, or go against atheism, any, any argument that you're using to defend what we believe, I would consider a, a in the in the general sense, a classical argument. Classical. Okay. Um, yeah, you have stuff like, well, we'll talk about morality. And then personally, I like to use arguments regarding consciousness, um, mm-hmm regarding um, things like the soul, uh, free will, whether or not these things exist, and if they exist, uh, do they fit on a naturalistic worldview or an atheist worldview? And of course, I would argue they don't. Hey, Eric, can you explain the moral argument for the existence of God? Sure. Um, Whenever I I do the moral argument, I always like to, um, I kind of break it up into two arguments, but the first, the general moral argument being simply... um, we can do it by giving three premises, and premises are just basically statements that lead to a conclusion. Premise one being, if God does not exist, then objective moral values and duties do not exist, or for now, we'll just say objective morality does not exist. Premise two would be, 
objective morality does exist, and the conclusion is therefore God exists. Now, let's unpack this just a little bit. When we look at morality, it can be one of two things. It can be objective or subjective. Uh, by objective, we mean something that is independent of human thought or opinion. Mm. So, for example, the number two is even, and that is true independent of what I think about it. Sure. Um, contrast that with something like uh, vanilla ice cream is the best ice cream. That is a subjective uh, perspective that is based on the subject and not the object. So these kinds of truths or things are dependent on the person. Now, when it comes to morality, as I said, it can either be objective or subjective, but here's the problem. If morality is objective, then something that is uh, objectively true would be independent of any contingent thing. And by contingent thing, I mean um, things that don't have to exist. So, for example, um, let's suppose, as a common example I've heard used, is let's suppose Hitler won World War II and, and brainwashed everyone to believe that it was good to kill Jewish people and to treat them uh, like animals. Mm. Yeah. Would that still be objectively wrong? And if the answer is yes, and it follows that this objective truth about morality that it is wrong to treat uh, human beings, Jewish people, as, as animals, then it is independent of the people that carried it out. Now, you look at something like the number two being even, it would make no sense to say that in 1958 we, dis we, we made the number two become even or that we... Um, know that the number two began to be even, and it would make no sense to say that in 500 years the number two will cease to be even because these are things that are necessarily true and objectively true. And if so, mm -hmm. then they were true in here before we got here, and they'll be, they will be true, and they'll be true even after we leave. If morality is to be objective, then we now have an issue because the human beings haven't always existed. And if, say, torturing babies for fun or treating Jewish people as animals is something that's objectively and necessarily wrong, then it was wrong far before we arrived here. Yeah. And if that's the case, then you now need to ground these objective truths. You now need to ground the existence of morality in something that is not contingent, mm -hmm. like human beings, something that must be eternal, something that is necessarily good, something that has always existed and did not depend on anything else. And of course, we begin to describe the God of the Bible. So if Objective morality does exist, and obviously it cannot be dependent on the human uh, opinion or person. It must be grounded in something eternal and transcendent, namely God. Um, now, of course, the question is, does objective morality exist? Well, if I were to ask an atheist, do you think it's wrong for Christians to beat up homosexuals or to blow up abortion clinics? Is that is that morally wrong? Or, or have religious people done evil in the name of God, like 9-11? They'll say, absolutely. I say, right. okay, well then, if you agree with me, that that is objectively true, then we now have the conclusion that objective morality exists. And given the argument, if objective morality exists, then God must exist. So if if there is objective morality, then God exists. Now, another version I like to use of this simply just brings evil, the question of evil, into the perspective of the argument. So to reiterate the, the argument, if God does not exist, an objective moral Morality does not exist. Yeah. Objective morality does exist, therefore God exists. Now, atheists will say, but wait a minute, um, there's evil in the world. Well, all that statement would do was, is would reinforce the argument, here's why. Yeah. If evil exists, and there's two assumptions that we must make in order to 
know that there's evil or for evil to exist there must be at least two things that we must assume one would be that there is an objective standard of goodness Mm -hmm. and the second would be what's called a teleology in the natural world and let's unpack this to go with the first one if i were to say that someone is lying then i am implying that they are deviating from a truth in other words you could have truth without any lies but if there is a lie then by default there necessarily must be a truth from which that lie deviates Mm. Similarly, if evil exists, then there must be an objective standard of good to which this action is deviating from. So if evil exists, there must be a standard of good. But if a standard of goodness exists, then given the argument we just talked about, then God must exist as that objective standard of goodness. So I find it ironic that the atheist would say that God cannot exist because there's evil, because in order to assume evil exists, you must first assume that atheism is false and that God, in fact, does exist. Yeah. So when an atheist asks me the question, I explain that and say, okay, now before I answer, are you still an atheist? <laughs> um, and what did they going, say? <laughs> uh, they kind of either try to change the subject or they'll kind of just reiterate. And, and at this point, and see, here's a side note i like to encourage uh, the listeners. One, it's, it's we know that Christianity is true. We have the witness of the Holy Spirit. We, we have the innate knowledge of God. But there's a difference between knowing Christianity is true and showing Christianity is true. Mm -hmm. I would encourage every listener to find these reasons that we can use to show Christianity is true because I like that you ask, what do they say? Oftentimes there's not a good response. Mm -hmm. And it's really not that hard to engage and evangelize in this way and to use these arguments when talking to non-believers. We have have the truth. We have the truth on our side. So uh, we, we shouldn't be afraid to present anything. Now, Regarding the second assumption of evil is teleology. Mm-hmm. Now, teleology is a technical word that implies or alludes to something like a final cause, a, a an objective purpose, um, and things of that nature. So, things like a, a proper function. So let me let me use this illustration. So if I say that my phone is bad, um, or we can even quote call it evil, um, what I mean by my phone is bad is I mean that. It is deviating from the way it ought to function. Mm-hmm. So if I have a dysfunctional phone, that assumes that there is a proper function in which the phone ought to be operating, that it's not. So it's deviating from its proper function. But when we talk about proper function, we are now alluding to two other things, namely a design plan, and design plans necessitate a designer. So whatever the designer of my phone was had a specific final goal, purpose, or intention behind its design plan. Mm. And because of the design plan, we know there is a way the phone ought to function. And when there's a dysfunction, we assume proper function. When we assume proper function, we assume design plan. And by default, when we assume design plan, we assume designer. That being said, let's take an example of, say, a child who was born with a disease. Mm-hmm. A disease, by definition, is literally a dysfunction. Yeah. However, if children are born with diseases that are dysfunctional, then we have to automatically assume that within the natural world, there is a proper function. And yeah. as we just said, proper function assumes design plan and hence assumes a designer. Right. Yeah. So the, the, so the, argument, so the argument that, oh, there is no God because there's evil, uh, it, it's actually, it's, it, it's holding up the existence of God. God. Yeah. yeah. Without them even knowing it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I often yeah. say uh, evil, it does not prove God, it disproves atheism. Yeah. Uh, and it <laughs> it's often said that there's a, uh, usually it's called the problem yeah. of evil. And mm. 
I admit there is a problem of evil, but it's not a problem for Christianity. It's a problem for atheism. Yeah. 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 What would you consider to be a universal moral objective truth? Also, what do you think about some example of social conventions? Well, um, something that's going to be objectively moral, uh, an objective moral truth would be um, basically that is going to be a objectively right or wrong, good or bad, independent of the human mind. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a difference between moral epistemology and moral ontology. Let's let's unpack this. Suppose um, Julio gave me a book, but he ripped off the cover and ripped off any pages that alluded to the author. Now, I can have knowledge of the contents of the book. That's epistemology. However, in order for me to have knowledge of the book, there must first exist a book, and the only way the book exists is because of the author. So moral epistemology is knowledge of morality, whereas moral ontology is the reason for which morality exists in the first place. So any moral truth is going to be, first, independent of human thought or opinion, and second, is going to be alluding to how we come to know morality, and there are various ways to how we come to know morality, but the argument specifically addresses why morality exists in the first place. Now, I say that because I often hear atheists say, well, we don't need God uh, to know good or evil or right from wrong. And I would agree with him because, first, the Bible says that the moral law is written on our hearts. Yep. And second, I would say we're, that's a question of moral epistemology, namely moral knowledge, not moral ontology, why, the book, why morality exists. So I can know about the book even if I don't believe in the author, but that becomes inconsistent. So any moral truths that we have are going to be derived in a various number of ways. Uh, I heard one atheist say something like, well, through evolution, we learn that it's better to work together than fight against each other. It's better to do, uh, uh, to give than to steal, because then, you know, you, you heard of the people. Whatever the case is, these are all questions of moral knowledge, not the existence of why morality is there in the first place. So, uh, so I'm just trying to understand with an atheist with just that moral argument. I mean they see that there's bad in the world, right? And if they're honest, I mean, what do you do with a murderer or, you know, uh, somebody who steals, somebody who lies? Like, would they admit to you that I just don't believe in just morality? Or, again, just to kind of unpack that a little bit, just the, the position of morality itself through an atheist point of view. I mean, if they're just honest, right, they would just... They would just say, well, I don't believe in morality. If I kill you, it's okay. Yeah, um, so what you would have here is, is as you said, an, an honest atheist. And, and, of course, there are going to be some atheists who disagree with me. But uh, I guess there's another side note. There are some atheists who say, well, I am an atheist, but I believe in objective morality, but I don't believe in God. Now, I would argue that's inconsistent mm-hmm. um, based on what we just said. but. Yeah. To the atheist listeners, I would say first, there's a difference between believing something as an atheist and believing something that is logically consistent with an atheism itself. So sure, you could believe something as an atheist, but does it doesn't mean that your beliefs are logically consistent with the atheist worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, so the atheist could either say, no, it does exist, but there's no God, and then we go back to the argument. So, okay, where, where did I lose you here? Where, what do you disagree with? Or they would go to what's called moral nihilism. Mm-hmm. which is basically the view that there is no more objective morality. There is mm-hmm. no objective right or wrong. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to the question you asked about you know, uh, these social conventions. So here's an example. 
Um, when I was in high school, they had a, a specific dress code. You had to wear certain color shirts and certain color jeans, and and you know you, you had to be in a, a certain style of clothing. And this was an arbitrary rule that the school came up with, and they have their reasons for it. But in other words, there was nothing objectively binding about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as if, in other words, when I left school and I changed shirts, I wasn't doing anything immoral because these rules were just, which, as you alluded to, social conventions. They're just made up arbitrary rules that a specific society comes up with to maybe make things work a little better. But the point here is is that if there's no God, then any and every role we come up with is just a social convention. It's just because there is no objective right or wrong. Mm-hmm. So it would be like this. If there is no God, then an atheist could never say that 9-11 was actually objectively evil. Hmm. They could say they don't they don't like it. Just mm-hmm. like I would say I love Taco Bell and someone says, Oh, I love Burger King, and I say, Oh, but I but I don't like this chain of restaurants. If there's no God, then it's just Taco Bell versus McDonald's. You like one, I like the other, but there's no objective moral truth to which one's right. It's just like wearing the wrong color shirt to school. Mm-hmm. There's nothing objectively immoral or moral about it. Mm-hmm. it. It's just a description of the way things are. Wow. Right, right. And so th- this is this is an interesting that, uh, a question that, that I do want to pose to you. You've debated uh, an abortionist uh, before. Who, what was her name again? And where can our listeners find that debate? It was great. Uh, thank you. Her, her name was Heather Busby, or her excuse me, her name is Heather Busby. Uh, and you can go to our YouTube channel. You can just type in my name, Eric Hernandez Debate, or Eric Hernandez Abortion, and it'll pull up. Mm-hmm. Um, and she uh, is a feminist. She is a lawyer. And at the time of the debate, the debate, she was the executive director of Narrow Pro-Choice in Texas, which is one of the biggest pro-choices, pro-choice organizations in the country. Now, since the debate, uh, she's no longer employed with them. Um, I'm not going to say why, okay. but it was pretty curious that she was no longer employed there shortly after our debate. Ah, ah. Yeah, please go check yeah. that out. Uh, just in summary, Eric Hernandez mops the floor with her. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> You're terrible. <laughs> um, er- Eric, um, right now, kind of in our culture, especially with abortion, it, it, it does kind of seem like there's obviously two sides. One says, no, it's okay to have an abortion. Another side says, no, it's, it's morally wrong. It's objectively morally wrong. How can Christians kind of ground that truth in saying, no, murdering a child in the womb, that, that's, that's murder. That's objectively wrong when you have uh, an opposition saying, no, that, that's completely fine. Um, if you kind of just talk about that, maybe un- unpack that, I'm, I'm more than sure you have experience kind of answering that question. Uh, yeah. Um, so a few things. Let, let's, let's first, uh, just to kind of set the groundwork, especially when it comes to things like abortion, it's important to first know whoever you're talking to, where you disagree. Because there's three three notions to consider. There are moral facts, then there are different a difference in moral values, and then a difference in the weight of these values. So mm-hmm. let me explain that. Um, let's say I'm talking to someone who's pro-choice or is in favor of abortion, and I say, well, I'm against abortion because you're killing an unborn human being. And they would say, no, it's not an unborn human being. You say, ah, well, then our difference lies in moral facts. You don't yeah. You, we disagree on the fact that it's it's a human being. Um, the other one, a, a difference in perhaps the, the values would be they say, well, uh, I say it's wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. And they say, no, it's not wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. And I always add in as an end in and of itself. And we can go there later if you want. But they might say, no, that's not wrong. So we, we disagree um, that something's moral or immoral. 
And then there might be a difference in the weight of the values. So in other words, for the first one, we disagree on the facts. The second one, we disagree that something's wrong. For the third one, we could disagree on which one is the weightier value. So the person who's advocating for pro-choice may say, I understand it as a human being. I understand it's wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being as an end in and of itself, mm -hmm. but the rights and values of the mother overtake the rights and values of the unborn child. So there it's a matter of disagreement of which moral value takes precedent. Ah. So it's important yeah. to know which of those three you disagree. Mm -hmm. Once you find that out, the conversation will go a lot smoother. Now, setting that aside, um, especially if I'm just having a quick conversation with someone, I always go to basically what's known as a sled test and even more what's called uh, trotting out the toddler. And basically, it's the idea that first and foremost, there's one question that really needs to be answered when it comes to abortion. It's not a complicated issue. Um, I've heard this illustration and I always use this illustration. Suppose you're washing dishes and your son or daughter uh, come up to you and they say, mom or dad, can I kill it? And you say, well, your response, what would it be? Would it be yes or no? No, of course not. Your response yeah. would first be to ask a question, can I kill what? Uh, the, the spider on the floor, yeah, please do, hurry up. Uh, the roach under the table, yes. Uh, the neighbor's cat, uh, I'm not a cat person, but probably not. Um, <laughs> your brother or sister, no, you know, and, and we need to talk, you know, what, what's going on. So what we learned from this is that before we can answer the question of whether or not we can kill something, we first have to know what that something is. When it comes to abortion, it's, it's, it's obvious, undeniable that abortion takes the life of something living. So in order to answer the question of whether or not we should allow this, we have to ask, what is the thing that we're killing? I would argue if it is a human being, then all bets are off. There, there is no justification for right. killing an innocent human being as an end in and of itself. But if abortion is killing just a clump of cells, then I'd say, hey, go for it. Have as many as you want because it would be no different than cutting your toenails or cutting your hair. So it right. really depends on is it a human being or not? Is the unborn human or not? If it is, then there's no justification for it. Now, that being said, trotting out the toddler. Um, oftentimes, I get all kinds of arguments in favor for abortion, but the point is simply this. Any argument you can give in favor of abortion, you can give in favor for killing a two-month-old toddler. So trying out the toddler means you pretend you have this two-month-old toddler here. And uh, and I explain the sled test in more detail also on my YouTube channel. There's a short mm -hmm. clip of, of me explaining that, and then there's a longer presentation that I did recently at the University of, of Texas in Dallas. Um, so let's, let's say, for example, someone said, well, what if the woman can't afford another kid? Let's say the woman has four kids and she gets pregnant. She can't afford another kid. And I say, okay, well, before I answer your question, let me ask you this question. Suppose I'm driving home and I get a call from, say, Layton, and I, I, I learn I, I lost my job. And, and then I learned that also somebody went into our bank account and sold all our money. And now we're completely broke. We have no money at all. And now I cannot support or afford to have my children. Mm -hmm. Which one can I kill? And I wait for them to answer. If they say you can't kill either, I say, okay, then if I cannot kill my kids just because I can't afford them, then why should I be able to do that just because the baby's inside the womb? Um, to, yeah. to, to just end with this, you can lump all together. You, you have rape, you have incest, you have um, uh, you can't afford abnormalities. Let's put all these together in one scenario. I'm driving home. God forbid, let's say I have a, a third son or daughter. And, and uh, driving home, we get in a car wreck. 
So, so in the debate that I had with uh, Heather Busby, um, in one of her, when she was, I don't know if it was in her opening, but she was basically arguing that there should be equality and equal rights for everyone. So here she's pointing to a moral value that everyone should have the same rights. And right. She said whether you're uh, a woman or a man or transgender or gay, lesbian, bisexual, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, there should be equality and equal rights for everyone. And then she went on to say, um, shortly after, that when a woman decides to have an abortion, even if you personally disagree with her decision, you have a moral obligation to support her, which I thought was interesting. Uh. She said, so um, we shouldn't be judging or shaming or, or you know, putting down these women who want abortions because no matter what their decision and decision is, no matter why they decide to do this, it is still her right, her choice, her decision, and you should support her no matter what, even if you disagree. So come cross-examination. I said, well, I, based on what you said, you said this about equality. Uh, you said that we should support a woman no matter what her choice, even if we disagree. She said, yeah. I said, okay, so I have a hypothetical question for you. Suppose a woman of a certain religion came up to you because, see, her uh, one of the organizations she runs is an organization that will pay for your abortion if you can't afford it. Um and I said, suppose a woman of a certain religion comes up to you and suppose we had technology that could not only tell you the sex of the baby, but could also tell you the baby's sexual orientation before the baby's born. So this religious woman comes to you and says, I just found out I'm going to have a boy or girl, but I find out that this boy or girl is going to be born gay and I don't want a gay baby. So that being said, would you perform my abortion? I said, now, my question to you is, are you still pro-choice in this instance? Because if you say yes then you are implicitly okay with killing a human being just because they're homosexual. But if you say no, then you're going against her right her and her rights. decision, which according right. to your standard should be respected even if we disagree with it. So my question is, are you still pro-choice, yes or no? <laughs> it's a great argument. <laughs> it is. Wow. She, uh, she laughed nervously, took a <laughs> drink of water, and yeah. said, well, that, she said, well, that, that kind of technology doesn't exist. And, of course, some people laugh. And I said, well, yeah, it, you're right. It doesn't exist. It's, it's a hypothetical. But I said, but let's go with that. It doesn't exist. Nevertheless, it is still her belief, her right, her choice, and according to you, should be respected no matter what. So, again, I want an answer to the question, are you still pro-choice, yes or no? She never answered the question. Um, not to go into too many details, but basically the school wasn't too happy with how that went. In fact, the student organization that put it together – um, the school said you're no longer allowed to meet on campus. A whole bunch of other stuff happened to where oh, the yeah. student organization got a hold of the Alliance Defending Freedom, and they took the school to court. And here's an example of apologetics making an impact for the kingdom and our culture because the school actually backed down and changed their policy and their bias towards a lot of conservative and Christian views that they had going on in all their schools. Mm. There you wow. go. Yeah, everyone, awesome. please go check out this debate. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, uh, I mean, it kind of goes back to the Romans too. I mean, she knows there's a certain standard, yeah. a law written within her heart. I mean, yeah. she knows that that is a human being alive. Yeah. And, and the reason why I, I want to bring up this discussion is because I really want to give a, a good example of kind of a debate on morality. And as Eric uh, Hernandez just um, demonstrated, that there is an objective standard of yeah. morality and then that also goes to wh where does that come from um so eric in a 2011 poll 
professor, I mean, sorry, professional philosophers and philosophy students uh, mostly denied the existence of God, yet acknowledged, or some were kind of inclined to accept, the existence of uh, uh, of objective moral truths. You you answered the question on can these two beliefs be reconciled, if not why, but I, I want you to give an example of kind of what a consistent atheistic worldview who's kind of on this moralistic nihilism, how would that look like uh, if, if you were to apply that? to the world if everyone were just to go by that standard well it, it would kind of look like uh like i said like my school dress code it's it's something arbitrary um and, and see here's where here's where it starts getting a little bit really complicated for the atheists because see what i'll often have it are atheists like going back to my school they'll say we need this dress code because it's going to help us identify our students and that will drop the likelihood of someone coming in with a gun and shooting up the school because we could immediately recognize that they're not in our school dress code or uniform. Mm. But note that these arbitrary rules and preferences are all assuming that human life is valuable. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. that's a moral value judgment. It is. So even then, at some point, you're going to have to come down to something that you're going to have to ground objectively. So what would it look like? Well, it's going to look like whoever's in charge wants it to look like. Yeah. And that's a scary thing because whether it's Paul Pot and Mao Zedong who are killing hundreds of millions of people who are atheists, mind you. And, and I, I don't want to – we don't have to unpack anything further than that. But to say that based on their view, they were in charge and no one could tell them otherwise. Uh, I'm reminded of a story uh, I believe it was in the Holocaust when they had the, the Jewish people digging their own graves just so they could shoot them. Wow. One of the uh, prisoners looked at the guard and said, sir, I just want you to know that God's watching you. Hmm. And he said something like, well, I don't believe in God, so I know he's not watching me and I can do whatever I want and shoots the guy in the head. When, to ask your listeners, when you're driving, do you slow down when you see a cop, even if you're not speeding? Yeah, some of us yeah. do. Even if we're not speeding, we're just you know just to double check. Why? Because we know that when someone's watching, we're more likely to be held accountable to what we should and shouldn't do. Yeah. But yeah. if there's no comp, I know people, and I, I yeah, I'm guilty of it. Yeah, just speed. Oh, yeah. yeah. If there is no moral lawgiver, if there is no one looking out for us, not only is there no justice in this life or the afterlife, mm. but there is absolutely no reason to be moral at all. Yeah. So yes. even if an atheist worldview could come up with arbitrary standards, why should I obey them? What, for what reason? Yeah. Now, atheists say, well, it's it's because we want to uh, do whatever helps human flourishing. I say, well, why would we want to help human flourishing? Why should that be the standard of what we should be uh, promoting? Because we're certainly not the fastest animal. We're not the strongest. We're sometimes not the smartest. We're not the biggest. There's a lot of things we're not. So why, why us? And they yeah. say, well, because we can take care of the earth. Well, wait a minute. Now you're assuming that it's good to take care of the earth. Ultimately, what this comes down to is a fallacy known as speciesism, which is kind of like racism, but towards species. <laughs> oh, it's man. having an unjustified bias towards your species. Yeah. In other words, I want to promote the flourishing of the human race. Why? Well, because you're human. I mean, why not promote the flourishing of corn? I mean, some <laughs> corn is better, you know, maybe, maybe we could use Blue that corn. space for having more corn instead of more people. I'd rather yeah, have a, yeah. you know, a cup of elote than, you know, some people <laughs> that I've met before. But, yeah. you know, so why human beings? Well, again, at the end of the day, you're going to have to eventually come down to some type of objective standard. And as we've already argued, you cannot have that without God. 
Right, right. And, and even when it comes to human flourishing, I would agree. I think that's good. I think even uh, Christians could can say that's a good thing. We have it in Genesis where it says, you know, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, we also have a standard that we are created in the image of God. But atheists... Um, you know, what if someone says, hey, I, uh, you know, I want to do human flourishing by all means, and I'm going to do it by raping women. Um, mm-hmm. You can't really argue at, at that point with them. Well, no. well, he's actually, you know, propagating his, his genes to the next species. And that kind of goes in with the whole Darwinistic philosophy. Eric, if you want to talk about that. But am, am I correct, at least in that point? Um, you know, even the means by which we, uh, you know, human flourishing continues, even that has some morality in it and how it should be done. Yeah, biblically. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, and, and this, this brings up an interesting point, because at some point, you're going to have to look at how do we go about the flourishing of human beings. Hmm. And of course, as I alluded to earlier, this is going to have to at some point point to a teleology, a purpose, a final cause. Hmm. And, and let me explain that really quick. You have uh, final causes— and what are called efficient causes. And here's the difference. A final cause points to a goal or purpose. That's where we get teleology, whereas an efficient cause is simply an explanation of the means by which something else happens. So um, I've heard Dr. Willem and Craig use this example. Suppose I'm boiling water uh, on the stove and my wife walks in and says, hey, why is the water boiling? I can give two explanations. I can say, well, honey, the water's boiling because, see, the heat, that is produced by the stove uh, is is transferred to the metal and then it conducts you know this energy and it makes the the molecules vibrate in such a way that they begin to uh, uh, boil and then evaporate in the form of and of course you can look at me and be like okay stop being a smart aleck why are you boiling water now that first explanation is simply an efficient cause i'm explaining the means by which something happens right but i can also give this explanation I'm boiling water because I know your throat was hurting and I wanted to make you tea. <laughs> that is a final cause, yeah. a final explanation, as opposed to an efficient explanation. Here's the problem. If atheism is true, there is no purpose. There is no objective goal. There are no final causes. Hmm. There are only efficient causes. So yeah. if my heart stops beating, you could say, someone could say, quick, someone call the ambulance. Eric's heart stopped beating. And I would say, well, or someone else rather would say, well, why, why would I call the ambulance? Because his heart stopped. Okay, so what? Well, his heart ought to be. Well, why, why would it ought to be? Because yeah. ought implies a final cause as if there's some proper function to it. But if there's no proper function, we're not making tea. It's just water boiling. And we just explain things by the mechanisms that, that makes them happen. And there is no end goal or purpose. Put it this way. I don't look at a rock and say this rock has three points, but it ought to have five. Because there is no teleology to the points of how many uh, how right. many points a rock has. Right. Uh, rocks aren't pointy so that monkeys can scratch their back. There is no teleology to it. And if there's no teleology to it, there is no ought, there's no purpose, there's no goal, and reality can look like whatever you want it to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's good Good stuff, good stuff. I, what was that other one, the final final cause what was it final cause the final cause i would say even in an atheist worldview there there is a final cause but it's it's really contingent on the person you know what i mean yeah they could uh, come up yeah absolutely they could come up with a um and perhaps you should uh, clarify by saying an objective you know a, right a final call a goal of purpose an ultimate goal of purpose within nature so yes. in other words evolution is not aiming towards something we're mm-hmm. not evolving towards a specific right end product yes. we're just mutating 
There is no so there's no final cause in that sense. Now, certainly individual conscious creatures, which of course I would argue you can't have consciousness if there's no God, but individual conscious creatures could come up with their own final causes within what they want to do, but it's going to yes. be arbitrary. Yes. Put it this way. Let's say I ask you, I give you a bowl of peas and I give you three utensils, you choose one, a spoon, a fork, or a knife. Which one would you choose? Well, I would say, well, and let's say we're in a contest. I say, well, before I know which one to choose, what's the point of the contest? What am I trying to do? Oh, we're trying to see who can eat the most peas at once. Okay, I'm gonna grab the spoon. Hmm. But let's say the context is uh, the contest is who could eat peas the slowest? Oh, well, I'll use a knife. But my choice is going to be dependent on whatever arbitrary final end goal that I choose. Yes, yeah. So if your end goal is to propagate DNA and there's no God, then you can't say someone raping to do this is doing anything wrong. Yeah. But if the end goal is to, let's say, save the whales, then let's kill some humans in order to save the whales. So it really depends on what your, quote, end goal is. Yeah. But at the end of the day, evolution doesn't have an end goal. There is no objective end goal. We can make up our own. But now we're just choosing between vanilla and chocolate ice cream. Yeah, I, I, that's so good. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what I wanted you to get to. He said it just way better than I did. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Um, you know, um, Thomas Nagel from New York, he's uh, considered a nice atheist. He said, and I quote, in every area of thoughts, we, we must rely ultimately on, on our own judgments, tested by reflection, subject to correction by the current ar argument of others, modified by the iman imagination and by comparison comparison with the alternative so even in everything that they're doing they're just right am i correct on that eric they're just coming up with their own judgments to make uh to i'm sorry to justify everything in their worldview yeah absolutely and, and you know that brings up another interesting point is that um if there's no god and there's no um objective morality then there could be no moral progress hmm. so if I were to, let's say, talk to Nathan and say, do you think it's good, you know, a few years ago our nation legalized same-sex marriage? Hmm. Was that progress? Is it progress that we now have uh, abortion legal in um, all these other places and they're making abortion um, have less stricter laws? Is that moral progress? Um, we no longer condone slavery. Did we do any – are we doing better well, if they say yes, then again, they're appealing to an objective end goal. We're trying to get to mm -hmm. something. But in order to progress, there has to be an objective goal. But if there's an objective goal, again, back to the argument, then there's uh, teleology, there's objective standard of goodness, and there's God. So really, if atheists are to be logically consistent, then whether there is slavery and we own black people or we don't own black people, whether we beat up homosexuals or legalize same-sex marriage – there's no difference between the two, and there's no moral progress. So we didn't do anything better by legalizing same-sex marriage. It was mm. just a change. Yeah. There's no moral progress. There's only moral. There's only neutral change. Yeah. When I change from a red shirt to a blue shirt, I'm not doing anything good or bad. I'm just changing shirts. Mm. If I own slaves or don't own slaves, I'm not doing anything moral or immoral. I'm just changing my preferences. Oh, and we know that's, that that's not the case, especially what's been going on in this country, right? I mean, just everything that's Absolutely. going. Everything that's going on. You know, we live down here in South Texas, and. Uh, you know, everything that is going on on the border and everybody's saying this is morally wrong, like this is, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And, and then on the other side, we're we're talking about abortion, just going back to abortion. Yeah. No, it's okay. You know, that's not morally wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, it, it's nutty. Yeah. I mean, when, when I, 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 you know, I'll say this on air, but I think, you know, 100 years down the road, we're going to be looking back at abortion 
just like the way that we do with slavery today and kind of saying what were we doing um but anyway I that's that's yeah, that's yeah. that's here or there and i've had people disagree with me um you know For i could be wrong man. But I can say this, you know, biblically speaking, when you look in, in, especially in the Old Testament, when uh, they started killing babies, God sent a judge to judge the people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this happened very often, you mm-hmm. know, see Babylonians and Moloch and whatnot. And in the New Testament, when they started killing babies again, God sent a judge, he sent Christ. I can tell you and guarantee you that in this nation, in this world, we're killing babies and he's yeah. coming back again. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I think, you know, I... I I believe that judgment on this nation is coming soon. That's just my personal uh, yeah. opinion, which is everything that just we see. That's and and going if on. I can even just vent here for a second, sure, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead, go ahead. <laughs> to the Christians listening, I like how Moreland puts this, and I, I said this in the talk that I gave in um, when we did the conference. The Bible says that we're the salt of the earth, and if salt loses its purpose or its flavor, it's no longer good for anything. The church is a salt of the earth, and, and salt back then was a way to preserve meat because there were no refrigerators. So mm-hmm. if you wanted to preserve meat, you add salt to it. But here's a problem. If you keep adding salt to meat and the meat continues to go bad, then at some point you have to stop asking what's wrong with the meat, and you have to start asking yourself what's wrong with the salt. Mm-hmm. If you turn on the news and any social media, it's obvious that the meat is going bad, and we, the church, are the salt of the earth. Yeah. It is not God's job to save or make a difference here. It is our job. Mm-hmm. Europe started as a Christian country but is now one of the most secular places there is and it's hard to evangelize i spoke to someone not too long ago who had a friend who was actually a missionary i think it was in paris and um when she asked what i did for a living i thought i was an apologist she said oh my friend's been studying that lately and i thought maybe her friends in college or something i said oh, what does your friend do oh she's a secretary in paris for this missions group i said what is she doing i'm glad she's studying apologetics but why why has she been spending so much time her friend said that she spends more time on apologetic websites than doing anything else because every time she meets someone and says she's a Christian, their reaction is immediately, oh, you still believe in fairy tales. Oh, you still <laughs> believe in that thing, that, that fairy yeah. in the sky. Oh, you still – and the point is it, is it got to the point to where when she introduced herself to people just to make friends, she'd have to hold off saying that she was a Christian just so they could see she's a normal person wow. before ever saying she's a Christian. Oh. And here's my point. If Europe started as a Christian country and is now completely secular, if God didn't save Europe, he's not going to save America Mm. because it's not his job to. And if Christians don't step up and become the salt of the earth, we can't blame the meat for it going bad. Yeah. Yeah. And And if God can destroy his own people, right, in Israel, as we see in the Mm. Bible. Yeah. Oh. Because there's a lot of Christians that the United States is untouchable. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's crazy. Like, oh, God, America, God's not going to judge this place. You know, this is God country. And and that's not true. Yeah. I mean, if we, if we, good point. And yeah. And, and, and I, and I feel that it's, it's coming and, but that's another subject, (laughs) I guess. Yeah. This is, this is a side note. I sent this to Abe and Steve the other day and I was like, man, this kind of goes with the judgment of God. But, uh, you have here CNS news, um, HHS extends contract to make humanized mice with aborted baby parts for another 90 days. Mm. So they're using late-term aborted babies mm. to uh, propagate their experiments with, uh, you know, to make create humanized mice. That's verified on CNS News. Yeah. You could go look at that. I could even put it in the podcast description link. What are we doing? Yeah. So just real quick, and just getting, and I don't want to get off topic too much, but just going back, do you think that judgment comes on this country 
and we start seeing hardship, financial crisis, anything that might be going on, do you think that we'll start seeing a shift in the thinking of atheists and what's happening? No. No. Unfortunately. Mm. Because, uh, put it this way, uh, I've heard it said that hell is locked from the inside, not the outside. Mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis said, um, because I hear atheists saying, you know, it's not fair, you know, God to send someone to hell for eternity. Um, But, See, if at the end of the day, God gives you exactly what you want, then what could be more fair than giving you what you want? And if what you want is eternal separation from him, then you lock hell from the inside, not the outside. Um, and, and I always put it, and people say, well, if hell's, you know, not get into views of, of, of hell, but you know, if hell's this conscious torment, then, well, that's not, I, I'm not choosing conscious torment. I just don't want God. And here's how I would explain that. In America, you have certain rights and liberties, freedom of speech and whatnot. But go to North Korea and try that. You're going to get you're going to get killed. Why? Because you cannot leave the boundaries of the United States and accept to have the same values and the same uh, um, liberties once you leave the boundaries and go into another country. Yeah. If you leave the comfort of an umbrella when it's raining as soon as you leave the umbrella you cannot blame the umbrella for getting wet that being said if all things good are grounded in god goodness mercy joy peace love if all these things are grounded in god then you cannot leave the boundaries of who god is and still expect to get these things and reap these benefits so if eternal separation includes separating yourself from the nature of god which includes these things then at the end of the day hell would still be locked from the inside because i i believe that even in hell you'll still have people shaking their fist at god and, and I'll say one more thing. When it comes to, see, morality, if I were to slap Julio, you know, maybe he could call, you know, which I would never do. Uh, <laughs> I sometimes God want gave you to. a great face. <laughs> um, uh, but if I were to do that, maybe he could call the cops. I don't know, maybe something might happen. But, you know, there wouldn't be that big of a punishment. But if I were to slap the president of the United States, I'd go to jail, I'd get arrested and maybe get shot, get fined. I don't know. Why? Because... The person that I committed the offense against, hmm. there was a difference there in, in, in who that person was. Hmm. If you commit an offense to an infinitely good God, hmm. then absolutely there's going to be some infinite judgment, some, some everlasting judgment. To go back to your question, would the atheist change your mind? Every atheist is different, obviously. Right. Yeah. And our job as Christians, and, and as I take the classical apologetic approach, I see apologetics as, again, meeting people where they're at. I, I, I love, I always explain it this way. When Thomas, after the resurrection, Thomas, who we call Doubting Thomas, you know, just like Christians, you doubt once and then label that, give you that label forever. Yeah, um, poor guy. Doubting Thomas, he said, I'm not going to believe unless I see for myself and touch for myself, hmm. you know, the, the, the wounds. What did Christ do? Well, of course, Christ cursed at him and belittled him and condescended and made fun of him. No, no, of course he didn't. What did he do? He approached him and said, if that's what you need, if that's what you're asking for, then he puts him, then Christ puts himself in a vulnerable position, lifts up his robe, and exposes the wounds, allowing Thomas to touch. Mm-hmm. If we are to be Christ-like, then we have a world full of doubting Thomases who are asking to see something. And like Christ did, I'd say it's our job to expose them to the evidence and truth and beauty of what we believe. Mm-hmm. That's apologetics. Mm-hmm. You are meeting the person where they're at. Now, some are just going to suppress the truth no matter what. And at that point, you know, there, there could be more to said, but I'll leave it at that. But there are those who are seeking, but they have honest, perhaps, questions or, or whatever mm-hmm. the case is. And 
Last thing I'll say to that is, I heard a quote once, the heart cannot embrace what the mind regards as nonsense. Mm, yeah. Some people have suppressed the truth to where they have convinced themselves of certain things, but they're constantly suppressing it. And here's where you come and destroy these strongholds and you allow the Holy Spirit to work. You help these, you help the strongholds come down. And the whole time the Holy Spirit is working through what you're doing. And of course, I pray and hope that what you're doing is pointing people to the gospel. Amen. Amen. Always. Yeah. And then on that note, um, as always, Eric, before we end the program, we like to, um, to, to ask our guests to, to share the gospel with our audience. And so if you would please do so, that'd, that'd be great. Absolutely. Now, I'll keep it pretty simple. When you look at every religion that ever existed and that's still around, <clears throat> you find that these religions basically have you follow a set of rules in order to level up or measure up to God's love or acceptance. Christianity is the one religion that has ever existed and that is around that says there's nothing you can do to merit God's love or favor. There's nothing you can do to earn God's grace. In fact, you never can. And unlike other religions that say you have to do something to level up and reach God, Christianity is the only religion that says you can't, and hence God, in a sense, leveled down and came to reach us. Hmm. We are human beings, and it's obvious that there is a problem with humanity, with the evil in the world, um, with so many things going on. And the only solution can be found in Christ. Christ came, died for your sins, and is giving you the opportunity to have a relationship with him, have a relationship with God. I've used this analogy. There's times in my life where, let's say I have a laptop and it breaks. Although it's under my name, although I paid for it, although I own it, I cannot fix it because I didn't make it. So mm -hmm. I have to send the laptop back to the manufacturer. You are made in the image of God and you are broken. Mm -hmm. There are things going on in your life, I'm sure, that, that you may have still questions and doubts about. But I guarantee you, you cannot fix yourself. And if you want any hope of redemption and, and finding God's grace, you send yourself back to the manufacturer, and that's the one who made you, and you bear his image. Yeah. yeah. Amen. 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 Well, everyone, Eric Hernandez, and I want to tell you this, Eric, I know you could see me through the camera, but uh, this is a guy who has blessed me tremendously in his ministry. I remember there was a time where um, I was in a very severe state of depression, didn't know if God existed, and I found him through a Matt Dillahunty debate. And I watched some of his videos, read some of his articles, and I actually reached out to him. He's one of the nicest individuals that you could ever meet. Uh, he's a brother that I highly respect. Uh, he's, I would even consider him one of my favorite apologists. <laughs> and he's, he's a guy that I will go to. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if, if, uh, if you ever need, you know, you have any questions, I'm, I'm more than sure if you email Eric, he would be more than willing to, uh, to, to answer them. Go check him out as well. Um, Eric, where, where can uh, our listeners find you? Yeah, you can uh, uh, Facebook or YouTube, um, also a web page uh, that, that we're looking to update pretty soon, but it's erichernandezministries.com. Mm -hmm. um, you can find articles, uh, links to the Facebook and YouTube um, on there. YouTube is where I, I kind of try to upload as much stuff as I can, and we're coming out with new videos soon as well. Um, I'm not, I don't do Twitter as much, but I'm starting to try to do it more, but mm -hmm. I think it's at EHM. Uh, EHM underscore apologetics or apologetics underscore EHM. One of those two. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, Facebook uh, email. Uh, you can email me at, well, you can find me on Facebook or email me at eric.hernandez at texasbaptist.org. Mm. 
All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, um, yeah, thank you so much again, Eric, for being on the program. I just want to say this to, my, uh, to our audience. Yeah, uh, well, go follow Eric Hernandez. Yeah. He's an up-and-coming apologist. Yeah. And 10 years down the road, I think we're going to be looking I, at him. I mean, I, I, I <laughs> think... the top I, I one. Mean, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that we're just in this moment in time that apologetics are... It's needed. It's needed. I mean, there's... Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, you know, Julio and I just are always just... Um, going on YouTube and just reading stuff and, mm-hmm. and just ourselves learning because we, 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 we're always constantly learning and, and Eric thank you very much for what yeah. you're doing out there because yeah. I need to learn you know and so do a lot of people because a lot of this stuff is just not being taught and yeah. we need to know why yeah um, we'll be, we believe what we believe and, and, and yes and we yeah. need to defend that yeah know? Yeah, yeah. I, I just just before before we end the program, I remember my cousin who recently just got saved. Obviously, when he first uh, comes to saving faith, you're going to be challenged by atheists, by different worldviews, and don't be intimidated by that. Go and look at you know the, the, a lot study. of these a lot of these arguments have been studied before. Yeah. I mean, we the Christian faith yeah. is, has two thousand years of history. Yeah. People have thought about these questions that you are asking and have answered them logically, consistently, mm-hmm. and efficiently. And don't be afraid to go in and study this. That's yeah. one thing that Eric Hernandez, I remember, <laughs> told me and you know a couple, couple of other people. Um, but yeah, uh, please do so. And and now he he is uh, he's on fire for the Lord and he yeah. can defend his faith. And this yeah. is only in the span of what like four months. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's doing great. <laughs> yeah, stop being li- stop being lazy and go uh, go study out there yeah. and, and learn. Yeah. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, thank you for tuning in today. If you want to know more about us, please visit www.bridgebookstexas.org. That's bridgebookstexas.org, and you can find more information about us. We are a Christian bookstore and coffee shop, and we're absolutely dedicated to discipling and equipping the saints and being a gospel outreach, not only to our community, but out into the nations. Yeah. Um, please go visit us. Uh, please prayerfully consider uh, supporting us monthly or even through a one-time gift. Yeah. Uh, that would be greatly appreciated. It allows us to do stuff that we're doing here today. Yeah. Well, right now we're looking into possibly a new facility, um, more Bible studies, just things to do here to yeah. uh, uh, to to expand the kingdom of God, like yeah. what we're talking about today. Uh, uh, you know, engaging with different worldviews like yep. atheism, uh, teaching people apologetics, pastor yeah. training, and more. So um, yeah, please check us out and uh, please subscribe to us as well. And we're going to go ahead and end it but as always what is your only comfort in life and in death that i am not my own but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful savior jesus christ thank you and we will see you on the next episode thank you later later